Hey gang, welcome to Big Brother and the Hodling Company, the podcast about music and Web3 and trying to fend off Big Brother. I'm the Keegan Voice. Today I spoke with Steph Guerrero, who is a Miami-based Web3 builder, artist advocate, and one of the people most committed to protecting the vibrant essence of on-chain music culture. After spending four years in various marketing positions at Universal Music Group, Steph made the jump to Web3. She kept into L-Drop, a Twitter spaces dedicated to Latinx artists, a community she's long championed, and she runs Go For Mars, which is a consultancy that helps artists transitions into Web3. She also operates as the chief marketing officer of Legato, a Web3 licensing as a service platform for creatives. Recently, the Web3 label Dreams Never Die held a town hall call to address some tumult and a sudden restructure within the community, which was especially unexpected coming on the heels of a successful release of their Founders Pass, where all 1,000 sold out in less than 24 hours. On the call, some folks largely reduced Web3 to, to being a tokenized financial system for the existing music industry, which is a facile representation for what has turned into a rich culture and community. When Steph spoke up for that community, she was the recipient of derogatory remarks and treatment. We dove into this, as well as the complexities of music licensing, the role or lack thereof of the major labels in Web3, and the rest of Steph's musical story. We eventually landed on hope and gratitude for the sublimely weird on-chain music culture that refuses to let the bullshit seep into this space. Hope you all enjoy the conversation. Here we go. Hey, Steph, it's great to have you here. Hi, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for taking the time. Um, really excited to chat. As always with these things, I like to start at the beginning and just um, you know get a sense of your story, where you're from, you know, when your relationship with music started, and then move forward from there. Um, so where I'm from, I'm actually, I was born here in Miami, um, but I lived for a little bit in South America. My parents are from Ecuador. So I feel like I've always had like a foot in two worlds. Um, mm. I actually did my primary school in Ecuador. And it's, you know what? Now that you say where my relationship with music started, it, it makes me think. My mom says that I started singing when I was two months old um, because I would just like copy back what she would say. Mm. Um, and it's interesting to see that, like, like how early like babies just kind of get this too. Now that I'm a parent too, to see them like, they kind of like, Sing themselves to sleep um mm. so i guess that's where my relationship with music started i was you know very little and music has always been around me um it i ascribe like certain genres to you know what you know comfort comfort spaces etc so i've had a very early relationship with music formally where i realized that music was going to be a big thing for me um it's probably when um i was in first grade um or first grade or i think kindergarten um they did a test in my school and they figured out that i could match kids mm. um and a lot of kids my age couldn't um do that and so that was exciting for them they were like oh we need to put her in chorus and you know she needs to learn more about music mm -hmm. um and so i did um but i always have like i've always had like terrible like performance anxiety about singing i don't know what it is um so I knew that wasn't my thing. Like I knew I liked doing it. It was like a thing for fun, but it wasn't going to be my thing. And then the other side of like my life was always, I've always been like really into technology. Uh, one of my first Christmas gifts that I asked for was a typewriter. Cause um, back then computers wasn't like a big 
commenting. Right. Um, so my dad got me a typewriter, and then eventually my dad, when computers came around, he like slowly would like give me little parts of a computer, like here's the motherboard, this is what it does, you know, here's the shell, and then you know when I, by the time I was ten, I think I had enough of the stuff to put it together. And he said if you put it together and um, figure out how to like turn it on and run like an operating system with what you know, I will help you connect it to the internet. Um, yeah. And I did. And then, so that was like, my start was like just on the internet. So those have always been my two passions and it's kind of taken me to this spot where now I work with both music and technology. My start in my music career was basically there was nobody doing social media at the label where I interned at. And I said, Hey, you need to hire me because I know how to do social media, you know, and I, I I've only done it like at a college level and like for more, mostly personal use or like local bands that I knew of, mm-hmm. but I knew that that was more than like anyone that worked at the company at the time. So I said, Hey, you need to hire me. I think I would, I would do a great job with this. And I literally cold LinkedIn message people and, mm. you know, connected with, with people at the, at the social networks. And, and it was great. And that was like the start, you know, I opened a lot of Facebook pages and a lot of MySpace mm. pages for people. Um, so that was like a fun, fun thing for me to, to start off doing with. And even, even now when I see that page has like, millions or of followers i'm like ha started that like i was there at the beginning i still have that little bit of pride yeah as you should that's really cool you know so at what point uh you know you discovered that you were the match pitch you know from a really young age you started to sing when you were two months old which is just amazing at what point did you you know was there a point when you thought that music was going to like you you know, performance or, 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 you know, singing, playing in bands, some kind of work on the other side of music where you're, you know, actually making it. Did, did that ever feel like a viable future for you? Or was like after you, after you discovered, you know, computers, just like, oh yeah, shit, this is, this is really cool. I want to pursue this. Yeah. It's so weird. Cause, um, the things that I would play when I was little is, you know, I would obviously play like dolls and babies, but like, I love to sit in my dad's office and just grab the phone and like say <laughs> things. And I would say little words. Like my dad would talk about containers all the time. Cause he would talk about like shipping internationally. So I would pick up the phone and I would say container container. And like my mom would laugh and she thought it was adorable. So <laughs> I think I always saw myself as like a business person more than, more than a performer, anything <laughs> else. I never had. And it's so weird because I never had this dream of, of being a singer. Even when I was younger, like all the artists I love and I admire, like I thought they were magic, but I was always mm. on that receiving end rather than like on the performance end. Right. Right. Who are some of those people that you were listening to where it felt like magic? Like I was convinced that Michael Jackson was magical and like he was <laughs> superhuman in some way or another. Like there mm. was nothing I could I couldn't think of that. Um also Stevie Wonder, like I just like anytime I saw him perform, I would just get so excited and I'm pretty sure if I ever were to meet Stevie Wonder, I would just cry like and turn into a puddle of tears <laughs> because it's like there's just someone who I admire so much. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so those were some of the people that I was like obsessed with. And then of course, like I had like my boy band phase where like I think everyone like mm-hmm. loved boy bands for for a period of their time. At least yeah. if you were female, you definitely love boy bands. I also I also had a boy band phase. <laughs> I... There you go. I, uh, you know, remember asking for, uh, you know, for some Backstreet Boys and NSYNC CDs when I was, when I was a young child and enjoyed, enjoyed them very much. <laughs> so yeah. definitely yeah. have a, have a soft spot in my heart for those days. Um, yeah. I mean, also for MySpace, when you mentioned that, that's, 
brought back a lot of nostalgia as as well. Yeah. Okay, cool. So so you're getting into social media and you're starting to you know, create these presences for different artists. You know, what happens next in your, you know, career and your path? Um, so what happened is I realized that like once I got everyone on social media, I learned as much as I could. I learned a lot about just like marketing music, which I didn't know about. As always, like the music industry does not move as quickly as um as I would like. And I realized that there weren't really any mentors. Like the only person who was kind of doing digital marketing there and like that was more focused on like getting good placement on iTunes or starting to do some like media spends. Um, they left to another kind of opportunity. And so there were very little people I could learn from in this space. Um, you know, the, the record industry is also kind of a lot. And so I decided to just like kind of take a hard left. And there was a new sports channel that opened up here in Miami. And I was like, let me try to do sports and see how I like it. Um, but that only lasted a year. And after a year, I was like, that's enough. I am definitely not a sports person. I'm a music person. Um, so I went to work for a radio, um, like a broadcasting company that, you know, basically they oversee a lot of the top radio stations in like the main market. So that was really cool because I learned about, you know, putting events together, whereas like in the record label side, back then there were 360 like deals, but record labels weren't really putting the concerts together. And even, and even now it's usually like they partner with like a promote, promoting company or someone to put it together. So on that end, I learned about like putting events together. I also learned about like how to how to make a pitch to brand sponsors that really matters and it's going to be impactful for them. And that's where I started learning a little bit more. Like I knew about licensing opportunities from working at the label, but it was very much like a like a superficial thing. And here I learned about a lot more opportunities. Like, oh, okay, so through the radio station, like these licensing opportunities could be brought to musicians. And so um how can we leverage that? How can we make this a bigger story than what it currently is? And so that was uh, that was really great. It's also a very, very tough job. It's probably, I think radio is probably the toughest job in all of the music industry just because of the hours, the need to constantly communicate. It's a direct-to-consumer um, kind of business versus like, you know, at the label level, you're really, you know, there's like a huge, there's like a huge thing in between you and the consumer, which is like the DSP right. or, or whatever. But this was like literally direct to consumer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was like one of the hardest jobs. Some of the people in radio are probably the worst paid, but um, they are probably the most impactful. So, um, so it was really, it was really, it was a really great experience, but definitely recommend. I would, I wish I would have done that at the beginning of my career rather than the middle of it. Um, and I definitely recommend anyone who is out there who is, um, wanting to get in the music industry i think starting with radio is probably the best um the best, the best way to go yeah that's interesting that was actually the first place that that i worked as well I worked for a radio station in chicago and and had been like you know music director for uh for my college radio station and it's true i mean i feel like you you kind of nailed the essence of like why it's so special is you know and also difficult is that like you know kind of you you are direct to consumer and like you you're actually creating connective tissues and like you can have a relationship as a dj with the people who are listening and like you're impacting their music taste and it's it's not like a label it's not like you know you know some kind of a you know no name you know huge brand that you don't really interact with it like actually feels personal so i agree with you yeah 
so then what happened after after radio like you know getting involved with major labels and i'm also curious to work toward when you started to see web3 as as an alternative route to some of these things yeah so after yeah after the working at radio i went back to the record label life and again it was a different world like budgets were so different um Mm -hmm. and it was it made me start thinking about more like what is the rather than thinking about like the good about music i realized that my my thinking was more like optimizing like how can we you know bring the most funds in because you know that's that's what label life makes you think you know you're in the release cycle and um i was given the opportunity to sort of work for this sub label that was this boutique label it was experimental we weren't going to be focusing on like the release week release week um it was a little scary to go into that but i had an artist um her name is Bad Gal, and right now she's having a great development moment, and she's she's getting a lot bigger than than what she was when I worked with her. But she had this really passionate fan base, and we had this like merch company that would come up with all these merch items. And half of the time, I thought everything that you're pitching or everything you think would be great is so dumb. I don't know anybody that would buy this. Like that was just my personal opinion. Um, and they. They were like, no, 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 we really think the fans would buy it. Like, we're going to go with it. And, like, the artist was excited about it. She's like, yeah, let's do it. And everything would sell out. Everything. Everything would sell out. And I thought, this is insane. Like, I've never, I had never seen that um, before. And so I thought, what else? Let me, what other products are out there? What can we look at it? And back then, I think only The Weeknd had done NFTs. And maybe, maybe Sean Mendes did one. Um, And so I thought, okay, let's. Let's see. Let's see what an NFT looks like for her. Um, so I started researching, connecting with a lot of different people. Um, back then, there were different agencies that were kind of helping you put put it together, and um, it just didn't work out, um, sadly. But I know the artist is very excited. Um, she wanted to, for example, include royalty points for her fans, like so that they would get paid back then, like even mm, before cool. this was before royal was a thing, mm-hmm. um, or even. Um, What's the other one? Another block. So mm-hmm. it was so exciting for me to see that because I was like, oh, she's thinking creatively. She's thinking, what else can I give my fans? Um, and sadly, it just didn't work out. You know, and like, first it was, it took a little bit with legal to sort of come around and, and figure out how this works and how we're going to make it so that we do have to pay out the royalties. And then the next hurdle was finance. And finance was like, what is this? Like, we're not setting up a crypto wallet. Like, how are we going to manage this? And and so that was that. And, um, you know, the, the label eventually shut down. Um, and I decided to move away. I took some personal time after a long time. I think I was, I was in a space where I was like very burnt out. You know, I had, I had just had a kid. I want to say like two years or a year before that. And I was just like, okay, I need, I need a space. Um, and then when I came back, I knew I didn't want to work on the label side of things. I wanted to work more on the tech side of things. And I eventually said, I'm like, you know what? Let me find out more about NFTs, you know? And, and literally there was an artist that I met with and she's like, I want to do NFTs. I don't know how to do it, but I know you're going to be the person to tell me how to do it. And I was like, okay. And so I just, at that moment, I didn't know enough. So I kind of just took with it and I was like, let me learn as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And I did. And uh, I think I sent my DM to like Excellencia. I was the first artist I met in the space. In like the beginning of 2022, but by then I had already been doing research for a little bit. Um, 
And, and that's when I kind of started coming out and, you know, saying things. And I realized that there were a lot of people here in the Web3 space that didn't know a lot about the regular music business. Mm-hmm. So it was like a great trade, you know, like, here, I'll give you my knowledge. You give me your knowledge. And, you know, now I'm, now I'm here. <laughs> yeah. And I think that intersection that, that you just alluded to at the end there is, is, um, is a really important one to think about because it does feel like there, there are a lot of Web3 people who have who have less experience in the web two space and the legacy industry and you know and then obviously vice versa um but you know it's so important to have you know that kind of cross-section of knowledge uh to you know prevent web three from repeating some of the same mistakes from creating the same systems you know you know maintaining the status quo um and you know that's why I think like some of the work that you're doing now with Legato is so interesting and and really trying to kind of preempt regulation and and you know create precedent for a new way to you know create kind of a legal infrastructure for this new new space and I wonder if you could talk just a little bit about uh you know what Legato is you know how you got involved with this work and and kind of what you're working on right now. Sure, yeah, Legato so Legato is a licensing as a service um, a website. Basically, our our mission is to allow artists to monetize or unlock new levels of monetization with their music. Rather than just selling NFTs, you can sell NFT licensing, which are soulbound NFTs um, that where you're basically licensing your music. You're giving someone an opportunity to just come and say, "Hey, I would like to use your music. Um, you know, what what kind of products do you have available? In this case, products are licenses." Um, and you can, and the artist kind of is put in the driver's seat. They can set up their parameters, like, you know, the terms of the contract and also like, you know, what the price is going to be for the license to be, um, to be acquired. And, you know, the buyer can literally just come in, no negotiation, no, you know, kind of back and forth or contacting a thousand different people and just mm-hmm. say, okay, I'm going to license this track, um, uh, pay the money and, you know, be able to license it from that point forward. Um, so yeah, the goal is really to simplify this whole process because right now, I mean, with, if it's for a sync license, for example, you have to sign, negotiate the license, then sign it. Then you have to submit W-2s if you're here in the U.S. and then eventually everyone gets paid. Uh, if you're international, it's even more complicated because then you have to pay taxes. So we're hoping with the help of, um, of you know, cryptocurrency and crypto transactions that we're able to like shorten that and make it easier. I'm curious if you've seen or or if, if you've experienced any issues with people looking to contract things they don't own the entirety of like if you know if there were like other if if there were other songwriters or or if any of the work was done through a label or working with a publisher like like have you seen that that conflation of like the web to contractual world and you know these new contracts that you're building with legato um, I mean, right now we haven't, we're still like, we still haven't opened our, our closed beta just yet. Um, but I have seen a lot of music that does not belong to people kind of get uploaded to the blockchain. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's probably, we're missing a little bit of technology there. Mm-hmm. Um, just, um, and when I say we, I mean like the greater community as a whole, yeah, and that yeah. there's no fingerprinting tool for the blockchain. Right. Um, and we need that. That's super super important um i do know of a couple of people that are working on that and i'm excited to see what it 
when when it does work but i do i do think that's important um and it, it's difficult right because a lot of times people are not you know putting things on the blockchain and selling nfts those splits don't necessarily equate to a copyright registration Right. So Legato, we have a solution called a blueprint where you upload the track and you put the splits in. And we're hoping that, you know, replicates that copyright registration step where it's like that tells you who owns the song and who has who has right to get paid to the song. Um, but there are like I, I posted a mirror article a while ago about how like the ownership of a track is like so multi-layered and complicated and everything is so bifurcated and the music industry is so mm -hmm. it is probably the most difficult thing to do because there's the songwriters sometimes there's even publishers like different publishers which one for each different songwriter and then um then you have the performance rights organizations and the labels and there's so many so many different layers right and um and each one of them decides a different thing, right? Sometimes labels have control as to whether or not, you know, a track can be licensed. Other times they don't. Other times they just have, you know, to get paid and that's it. Um, so yeah, there's there's control, there's provenance to see who created the track, and then there's who gets paid for the track. So um how those three things play with each other is gonna be it's gonna be interesting, but I think the blockchain probably has the solution for for how to solve that entire um fiasco and mess that we have now. Totally. We'll need a period of transition for, uh, you know, to a to begin onboarding enough artists to get new use cases and build out in a way that is, you know, a bit more scalable, so things can be open. Um, you know, something like a fingerprinting tool, I think, would you know go a long way. I'm I'm curious if you're aware of any, you know, as you mentioned, as you mentioned earlier, like, you know, the major labels are not exactly. Uh, known for being the most innovative entities and are pretty slow moving. Um, obviously, they're they're all aware of Web three and what's you know being created on the blockchain. And you know this year have become more outspoken. You know people like Lucian Grange, the CEO of Universal Music Group, has has come out and said like, regardless of what his actual intentions are, he is publicly saying. We need to do something about the payout model that it, you know exists in the streaming paradigm, and we need you, you know we need to shake things up. I'm curious if you're aware of any conversations or or any innovations that are happening, you know, inside the majors or peripheral to them that are actually exciting. <laughs> I think it's crazy because I know that majors. They know about this. They want to go into it, but, but majors just really want something where they can plug and play. And right now that's right. not really available, right? Mm -hmm. They've experimented and they've kind of like had partnerships with like, let me, you know, like the LimeWire, the, the Curio, the, there's so many different partnerships. That's what they want. They want to sign these partnerships, but they're not. The thing is that Web3 is so much more than just the technology. It's also the community. And so that's where they're having a hard time because there's no, there's no really an in for them to kind of come and like, this is our space. This is what we're going to take. Um, so, so we'll see. I do know there, there are experiments happening. Obviously Kingship is very famously the board ape boy band or board ape gift band, I guess that's what you would call it. Yeah. yeah so there are experiments happening and there are people that are, are testing it out. Um, but it's really largely independent musicians that are going to lead the charge when it comes to this. And that's probably why Lucian Grange said what he said, because he sees like the, 
the piece of the pie that is independent music is getting bigger and bigger. You know, and artists have less and less incentives to sign with labels. And so that to me is, is interesting to see why, why these things are changing. Now, I don't, I personally don't think like there's very few artists that are going to be able to make a living just selling NFT. Um, so there is, of course, going to be space for labels to participate. They just have to figure out a way of, of doing it in a way that feels meaningful, right? Web3 doesn't work if you just come here to take. You really have to, I mean, you really have to come in and, and, and build. So labels have to figure out like what's going to be their contribution to this whole greater ecosystem in order for it to be, you know, beneficial for everyone. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I just saw that there are about 4,000 tracks coming from the major labels every single day to streaming platforms, and yet there are 24 other tracks for every one that's coming from the majors from elsewhere, not in the majors. I think the point that, that you made about, you know, community and like on-chain music culture as, as being an integral part of this experience and, and, you know, a lot of people coming, you know, from the legacy industry see it as more of a web to plus crypto. It's like we've created a tokenized financialized, you know, system for the existing paradigm, which obviously is not, not the case. And one thing that comes to mind in you know, in thinking about this on-chain music culture, this like, you know, sublime weirdness, you know, I've been thinking a lot about recently, uh, in, uh, is what uh, happened to Dreams Never Die um, pretty recently, which, which is a Web3 music label, um, for those who don't know. And recently there was some tumult in the community when one of the co-founders resigned and uh, the rest of the core team was let go um very abruptly and in a subsequent town hall that was meant to address some of those changes um there was a lot of tension there was a lot of uh pre pretty ugly behavior and and i know that you Steph, were were unfortunately treated very rudely on on that call and wanted to 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 create space um to you know get your perspective on on that experience uh, you know from like a personal perspective and also like how um you know it connects to this larger larger idea of like you know it's kind of essence of what makes web3 music like you know really powerful yeah it's so interesting so before this call i so i had a baby in in 2022 june 2022 and the whole experience of me being pregnant i so i i had an, i have an older kid who's four and i had him while i was a label so that whole experience of me having a child and becoming a mother and all these new things that happen i was at a really vulnerable time and working at a label you just kind of like power through it and i didn't realize how many things were kind of messed up the way that that happened you know there were there were meetings where things were said um you know people there was no space for example for me to just like pump my milk like all these things like just were so weird and i well my direct bosses were very supportive of me becoming a mother and congratulating me it just i i definitely felt a shift you know as a change of the way people 
spoke to me, treated me, you know, meetings were being scheduled at times that weren't really convenient for me um, because now I had, you know, a baby to go home to. So Mm -hmm. it was definitely felt ugly, you know, and I, and I, and I had some sort of, like, I didn't feel supported when that happened. Um, And so it, it just, it just left like an ugly taste in my mouth. And so when I had my second baby, I was fully in web three. I, most of the people didn't know I was pregnant until like, I literally had to tell them like, Hey, I might be missing for a few days because that's what I was planning on. Um, cause I'm going to go have a baby. And they were like, what? You're pregnant. And so that was like a, a great, it was like a great thing. And everyone was really supportive when I had the baby, you know, all the communities I was in were supportive. Even now when you hear the noise of my kid in the background, people are like, okay, you know, we understand moms are welcome here. So. Mm-hmm. I have been in this cocoon of like safe space, you know, for a while, you know, for about a year. So for me, this dream server die call wasn't like I came into this like false sense of security, I guess, if, if there's a way to, to put it. Mm-hmm. Um, so this, this new person who joined the team, I, I knew nothing of them. Um, and I was just, I literally like I feel it kind of like a mama bear about the community too, and so the the whole talk about you know like Web three, like what artists are on Web three because they failed in Web two, like that sort of thing, like mm-hmm. it hurt me, right? Because I'm like, no, 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 you don't know these people, you know, and so mm-hmm. I my attempt was really to just try to explain like this is a different cult, like we're building a counterculture here, which will be, eventually become mainstream. Like I like every counterculture has their mommy moment in the sun, but it takes time, mm-hmm. and so. So for me, it was just shocking, right? So the moment they started, started like ascribing like the sort of like emotion or like feeling to what I was saying, instead of like, instead of engaging in the discussion, you know, I sort of went to the, to the thing that I, that I normally would, like, especially now being in Web3. So I said, oh, like, maybe you're just not familiar with hearing familiar, uh, female voices, you know, which mm-hmm. happens all the time. And I have said this in Twitter spaces other times, too. Like when there's a bunch of of male voices on space, I said, you know, and they make a joke, I say something like that. And it's usually like, it's usually disarming rather than arming. And, mm-hmm. you know, obviously in the space, it wasn't the case. It like, mm-hmm. um, it made them double down. And so it was really bizarre. Mm-hmm. And then to start hearing all of these tropes, right. And then that brought me back to label life. Cause those calls, that call, that exact call, everything, how it happens like that, it, it happened before, not only to me, but to other women I love and respect. Um, and I've seen happen. So, it definitely like it, it it took me back you know so it, it it felt a little bit like you know like like being brought back to that like ptsd to, the, to use mm-hmm. that term probably poorly but um but yeah it was definitely like whoa like what's happening like this is not this is not the people i know and love like this is not web3 and so um so it was definitely shocking but the difference was this time well a it was recorded um and i don't I understand that, you know, in the recording, it says it wasn't recorded, but it was very publicly put on the public chat. You know, the the bot that records the, the call was very publicly, uh, you know, called upon in the beginning. Um, and uh, and so I don't know. I was one. I'm glad it, it was recorded because I feel like these stories need to be told and, and these people need to be held accountable. And two, it was just so beautiful to see how, like, the community was like, no, 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 no. Like, we do not welcome this here. Um, you know, in a space where there is no HR, there is no, like, mm-hmm. party that can, you know, discipline bad behavior. It was good to see that the community kind of, we did that ourselves. Um, and it was really sweet to have just 
different people reach out to me and, you know, and check in on me. I really, really appreciated that more than anything. Um, but I'm just glad that we just, we're saying like, Hey, this is not how we do things here. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I'm happy because that, that means we have a really good thing going. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think, I think that was really beautifully put. Um, and yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm sorry that that happened, um, to you. It was unwarranted. Um, but I'm happy that what came from it is people, you know, reaching out to you, showing kindness and, 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 and yeah, I mean, I shared your, your reaction of seeing like, you know, being heartened by the strength of the community being like, no, no, this is, you know, we're, we're kind of the bullshit rises to the top. And you're like, this, this isn't why we're here. We're trying to do things differently and people willing to be outspoken about that and standing ground, you know, protect the space that we're trying to cultivate to create something better. You know, I think, I think you use the word reductive. Um, and, and yeah, I think that was spot on in, in, in terms of how the person who's talking was talking about this space, about, you know, on-chain music as basically like, now there are tokens on top of what we're doing in web two, like at the major labels and that's how it works. And hopefully I'm really hopeful that we can, as the space inevitably grows, as, as you said, as the counterculture uh loses loses its counter and moves more toward mainstream culture in whatever fashion that that takes that the essence of it persists i think it's you know really important that we do that i appreciate people like you who are standing up for that um like you're one of the most active outspoken people i've seen in the space i feel like in, you know every community and like you know, every discord space every telegram group i go and i see i see your name somehow you're everywhere which is amazing especially having kids like that's i don't know how you find the time yeah i don't to be honest with you i don't know either and it's <laughs> crazy to me you know that now that my kid can be like put down and entertain himself for a bit um i don't know how i did it in the beginning but um but i remember being back in spaces like when my baby was like a week old and oh that's what happened now i now remember this like this is just a cute story so my first kid, he would fall asleep with music because I played so much music when I was pregnant. And this this second kid, he fell asleep listening to Voices of Spaces. So I was like, well, looks like I got to be back on Spaces so I can make him go to sleep. Um, so that, yeah, I think some of that helped. Um, but I don't know. I do have a lot of help. You know, my husband, he's very supportive. And I also have my, my parents that are around and, and they can help as well. So Cool. So, you know, we do what we can, but, uh, but yeah, it's definitely crazy over here. <laughs> I imagine. So in your mind, like, what are some of the communities, um, that are, are, you know, kind of our best representatives as, you know, of this, this kind of on-chain music culture essence today? Yeah, I think water and music is probably one of the best. You know, communities. I would say if anyone's going to get in the space, start with water and music because everyone is so smart. There are so many people that have achieved and worked on so many incredibly amazing things. So, water and music is a great place to start. Um, Hi Fi Labs is also really, really great. 
one community that I'm really, really passionate about, and I'm not entirely sure what my role in, in, in it is going to be. I'm like literally just like a supporter and watcher is Campfire. Mm. I love how they just put these camps together and help musicians be musicians. And there's this beautiful music that's coming out of that space. And I'm very excited about what, you know, what comes out of Campfire. And then, of course, you know, I don't, I cannot say enough or speak highly enough about Zoratopia. Hmm. what Latasha builds um and it's meant to be like a space for inclusion and what she builds is just it's just beautiful you know you have performances of people that like run the gamut of genres but then you also have beautiful art um and then you have you know panels that like educate people or inspire people um I don't know I feel I'm really excited about what Zoratopia is or whatever the next iteration of that is going to be um she has truly built something that is that is meaningful and, and definitely um, important. And I know I'm forgetting, but whatever, if Natalie Cruz out there, whatever she's working on is amazing. So <laughs> just keep an eye on her. And if you follow her around, you will you will, will not be feared wrong. Cool. Awesome. All right, for those people listening who are curious but haven't yet taken the dive, those are some great places to start. And yeah, I mean, joining a Web3 music community is easy as just Going and introducing yourself and meeting people. It's great. It's a nice, it's a nice way to dig in, see what's going on. Um, okay, Steph, I just have one more question for you. It's unrelated to all of this, um, but I ask everybody at the end of these. Uh, you're going to Desert Island. You get to bring three albums with you. Which ones do you bring? Oh, I feel like these are always changing for me. Um... That's okay. It's an impossible question. So, right, yeah, I know it's a good question. Okay, so I always say Beyonce's Lemonade, and the reason I mm. that album is like never removed there is because it runs the gamut of like feelings, but also genres, and so that's like a good album to just bring with you. Um, um, I'm gonna go with Jason Rath. Um, nice. I know this one's going to be like a weird thing, but he's just really been chilling me out recently. Cool. Um, um, oh my God, the album that has, um, yeah, I think it's just called, no, we sing, we dance, we feel. That's the yeah. one, the one that has I'm yours. It was just like, those appeared period of time where like I needed music to really build me out. And he really does a good job of doing that. Mm -hmm. um, and then Stevie Wonder songs in the key of life, because that's oh, just, nice. You know, Stevie, he's good. He makes me happy. But these are always changing. So um, I feel like oh. I would be very bad. Like, it would probably last me, like, you know, 90 days before I'm like, I need more albums. And I would just probably swim back to somewhere else to find yeah. more albums. Yeah. I mean, hopefully, you know, by 90 days, you've been rescued by a helicopter or something or, you yeah. know, a boat <laughs> from yeah. your island. Um, Cool, Steph, thank you so much for being here. Um, just, you know, before we sign off, what is the best place for people who are interested in following along or getting involved with your projects? What's, what's the best place, you know, for them to follow you? Yeah, so if you want to follow Legato, um, we're at LegatoHQ on Twitter. Um, and then just check out our website. It's LegatoHQ.com. Uh, if you sign up for the Get Started um, on the Get Started tab, you can you know get more information and um, sign up for the beta. Uh, and then for me, um, I'm at Steph underscore Guerrero on Twitter, um, and then Guerrero Steph on Instagram. 
pretty sure like once you get there, you'll be able to find me anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always, I try to answer to as many DMs as possible. I'm better about it on, on Twitter than I am on Instagram, but I definitely will get around to you on Instagram. Cool. There you have it, folks. Um, go check out what Steph is doing. She's involved in some really cool projects. And yeah, thank you again for being here, Steph. Really appreciate the time. Thank you so much for having me. All right, that's it for this episode of Big Brother and the Hodling Company. I'm your host, McKeegan Voice, and you can keep up with me and all the latest Web3 music trends on Twitter at McKeegan. That's M-A-C-E-A-G-O-N. This show is a production of Decentral Media. And you can visit us at decentral.io. And remember, only you can prevent and fend off. Big Brother. <laughs>